At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, hello. Welcome to 30 and a Bit. My name is Pete, and each episode I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. I created this podcast for a few seasons in Dutch, where it came in the top 5% most shared podcasts worldwide. That's when I realized we talk about issues not only I run into, but many can identify. So here we are, bringing it to a bigger audience in English. Today's question is, do I have ADHD? My friend recently got diagnosed with ADHD, and she told me that most women get diagnosed in their 30s, and that absolutely blew my mind. I had no idea. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit more in the facts and figures, but since then I've looked into it and I've become even more obsessed and today's conversation taught me so many new things. We discuss why it's never too late to seek a diagnosis, even though the wait list might really discourage you, um, but the way she describes it, our expert Meredith, you're given the right manual to live in your life after having the wrong manual for so long. We also talk about being a parent with either ADHD yourself or when your kid does. Uh, and even if you don't have ADHD, but you're naturally quite anxious, we also share a lot of tips and tricks on how to cope with that. So stick around. Let me start with some facts and figures on the subject. ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. The average age of diagnoses for women with ADHD who weren't diagnosed as children is 36 to 38 years old. Before that time, girls and women are often misdiagnosed as having a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder. Research shows that parents of siblings of someone with ADHD are more likely to have ADHD themselves. Trauma and traumatic stress, according to a growing body of research, are closely associated with ADHD. We have a great expert today, Meredith Carter, 43 years old, living in Arizona. Meredith holds a Bachelor in Psychology, a Master's in Business Administration, and has three children. When her middle child was diagnosed with ADHD, Meredith began learning as much as she could about it in order to help her daughter understand her unique brain, and I love how you put that. During this process, Meredith discovered she likely had ADHD as well and later pursued a diagnosis. This journey led Meredith on the path to becoming an ADHD coach and course creator. Welcome, Meredith. I'm so excited you're here. The um, very first question I always ask my guests is, how were your 30s? Oh, wow. That is a question. Let me think about that a minute. They were uh, a little bit of a blur. Um, I, <laughs> I had my second child right before I turned 30, and then my third at 35. So very, very busy time of my life. Uh, that was also the time period where um, my middle child was diagnosed with ADHD and that I was diagnosed with ADHD towards the end of my 30s. Um, 
But I will say it was a period of like highs and lows, like things were going really well at times and very, very busy and stressful at other times. I bet with three small children. Yes. Um, and you you changed careers. You set up your, mm-hmm. uh, your business around ADHD. So when did that start? What age? So I was diagnosed formally right before I turned 40, but um, I definitely was highly suspicious and um, probably could use the term self-diagnosed from about uh, 35 and up. Uh, It took quite a while to get that uh, diagnosis complete for my daughter, so I was so burnt out from handling all of that that I didn't pursue it for myself. I didn't really see the point for a while, Um, but... When I really started diving into ADHD, um, I took a course through a coaching organization um, that coaches or teaches ADHD coaches, but the course was um, basically focused on understanding ADHD. It was a prerequisite, and I had no intention of becoming a coach at the time. I just wanted to learn more about um, my daughter's brain and probably my brain, and When I started learning more, I just couldn't get enough of the information. My whole life started making sense to me. Um, And I already worked in employee coaching and employee development. So when I saw that ADHD coaching was a thing and I saw the impact that it made in my life and in my daughter's life, I knew it was a field I wanted to pursue. So during your um, coaching, what kind of women do you see and what do you work on with them? You know, I see a lot of different things. Um, If I had to say, like, kind of the most common demographic I'm seeing right now um, is women that are in their mid to late 30s. Oftentimes, they are recently diagnosed with ADHD or they were diagnosed as children, but weren't really provided with a lot of strategies and education around how to really structure their life um, in the context of ADHD. And what do you work on normally? What is what does the process look like? You know, it really can depend. Um, things that we work on in coaching around ADHD specifically are sometimes we're working on how to really manage the capacity that you have, how to understand it, and how to avoid burnout. That's a common issue I see with my clients is that People with ADHD tend to be really, really productive for a certain period of time, and then they burn out. So really working with people to create strategies and rhythms in their life that uh, account for that tendency and help them avoid burnout. Uh, I work with a lot of business owners that, like, they're very creative. They have all of these ideas. And they really struggle with the implementation. So we work a lot on strategies that make sense for how their brain is wired and running their business. Amazing. I definitely want to talk more about the coping uh, mechanisms and how to get through day-to-day life, for example. But let's start at what ADHD and what is the root cause of ADHD? So ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means that it develops in utero. So you're born with ADHD. Oftentimes people are getting diagnosed as adults, but that doesn't mean the ADHD wasn't there in their childhood. Um, There are some health conditions that can present with similar symptoms to ADHD where, you know, you're having attention issues, you're having focus issues, um, but to have actual ADHD, it is something that you are born with typically. 
And what do symptoms and signs look like in specifically women? Because boys are often younger when they get diagnosed with ADHD because they have that hyperactivity and uh, lack of uh, being able to concentrate, for example. What does it look like in women and why does it take so long to get the diagnosis? So the symptoms, um, they are classified in the same way in like the diagnostic manual, but Oftentimes, because of how girls are socialized, they get really good at masking their symptoms. So they may also experience hyperactivity, just like those little boys are, but they learn to control it in different ways and hide it. Um, oftentimes, hyperactivity in uh, females is a little more internal, so they're not bouncing off the walls, but their brain is like going a million miles a minute. Their thoughts are bouncing around. They might be really fidgety um, and need to move around a lot. But uh, oftentimes I think the reason that it isn't identified in young girls is because a little boy that's falling out of his chair at school or really, really impulsive, like that's a big obvious problem. And that's not just a problem for that kid, it's a problem for the people around them. Like the teacher is having to deal with a lot of behavior issues, the parents are having a hard time with girls because we're keeping that hyperactivity on the inside. It's a problem for the child, but it's not as visible to everybody else. It's not causing classroom issues. So there's not really like always that big, you know, sign that something needs to be looked at. And does it or can it become a bigger problem later? Absolutely. I think that the earlier you are able to identify ADHD in children, the earlier you can help them learn how to cope with their symptoms and educate them. Um, oftentimes, something I see with my clients that are getting diagnosed in their 20s or their 30s is if you go that long trying to cover up your symptoms trying to find coping mechanisms without really a roadmap, oftentimes what develops is poor self-esteem. We often, um, sometimes we become like really extreme perfectionists because we think if we can hold ourselves to these really, really high standards, nobody's going to notice that we're really kind of feeling like a mess on the inside. Um, and it can really hold us back from pursuing things that we want to pursue. Like oftentimes I talk to clients that like, you know, they got into college, but then really struggled with being organized and the application process for things and writing papers and things like that. So they, you know, they think something's wrong with them, but they don't know what it is and they give up. So there really can be a huge impact of not identifying ADHD earlier. And a high risk of burnout, like you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. Burnout is a huge problem. And I also read that it's not uncommon for women with ADHD to um, have other problems like drinking excessively or chronic lack of sleep. Um, do you see this a lot in your practice? Absolutely. So I'll address both of those separately because they're kind of, um, you know, they both are issues, but they have different sort of root causes. Um, drinking, excessive like sugar intake, things like that. Oftentimes that's driven from our brain's need to access some dopamine. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain. It's very linked to motivation. Um, and people with ADHD are thought to not be able to access that dopamine as easily. So when you consume sugar, when you consume alcohol, some illegal substances, you get like a big hit of dopamine right away. Um, and that makes you feel great. 
But what happens is when you have that big spike of dopamine, your baseline levels reset to lower. So then we keep craving more and more and more um, without even really knowing why. Like we think we just like it, but our brain is truly looking for that dopamine to feel activated um, and find some motivation. So the drinking sugar addiction is something that people with ADHD should have, um, you know, education on because they are more susceptible in that way. The sleep, uh, the sleep issue, that one's a complicated one, but there are a lot of studies that show that um, a large percentage of people with ADHD have something called uh, delayed sleep phase syndrome, which in layman's terms just means that their biological like circadian rhythm is later. So instead of like kind of naturally falling asleep with the, you know, the sun and the sun rising and like normal, you know, people do, we, our rhythm is set a little bit later. So that can be kind of a huge issue when you got to get up at like 6 a.m. to go to work. (laughs) Um, And then you're just not getting enough hours. Exactly. And then there's also a lot of other factors that come into that. We um, we use a term in the ADHD world called revenge bedtime procrastination. So if you feel like you've been procrastinating all day and then all of a sudden that deadline feels like really close sometimes that's what people with ADHD need to get moving so then we're doing all of this work in the evenings and our brain doesn't have that time to transition and settle down so it can be a kind of a vicious cycle interesting so I guess if you have an employee that doesn't have children like doesn't have the need Mm -hmm. to get up at 8 a.m or out the door at 8 a.m it might actually be good as an employer to give them the opportunity to work different hours absolutely like I think if there's not a specific reason that you need to be in the office at that time um, the best way to handle that delayed sleep phase is to embrace it, but not everybody is able to, you know, be flexible in that way. But when you can, I really do think that's a great way to support people with ADHD. That's a really interesting point. And another thing, um, you just mentioned a dopamine hit and I will be talking to Becca soon as well in another episode about binge eating, which is also something that's quite common, um, within people with ADHD. So there'll be a next episode on that. Um, what is the difference between ADD and ADHD? Is that just the H for hyperactivity or are there more differences? ADD used to be a way to differentiate, um, ADD without that hyperactivity component. Um, currently ADD is just now used kind of colloquially. It's not used in the medical community anymore. So it's all ADHD now. Um, The way we separate it out is that you would be diagnosed with ADHD and then you would be diagnosed with inattentive ADHD, which is what used to be called ADD. So you could be inattentive ADHD, um, hyperactive type ADHD, or combined type, which means you have symptoms of both hyperactivity and inattention. And I would say most of the women I speak with are diagnosed as combined type. You mentioned um, at the start that getting a diagnosis for your daughter was a very intensive process and you kind of didn't want to pursue yours for a while because you didn't want to just get started uh, in that that big machine. So can you take us um, through the process? How do you get diagnosed? What does it look like and how long does it take? Gosh, this, I can tell you my experience. It's a little tough um, to talk to an international audience about that process because there is a huge variation between how ADHD is diagnosed from country to country. Um, But 
tip for for us, um, some of the barriers, I'll start with my daughter. She was first diagnosed with a learning disability and then diagnosed with anxiety. And I kept saying, no, I think this is ADHD. This is not clicking in this way. Um, Because especially with children and those girls that have that inattention, it really can look like anxiety or it can exist with anxiety. So, you know, it was just multiple assessments uh, with her. We we started with our pediatrician. Our pediatrician said that she was kind of a gray area kid and that we needed to go to a neuropsychologist for children. So we did that, super long wait for that, very intense testing process. They did a lot of um, cognitive tests with her. Um, we finally got some answers on that. And then finding a provider to treat the ADHD was a whole other thing. Um, so finding someone nearby that didn't have like a long wait was a barrier. So that just took a while to get her situated. As an adult, when I decided to pursue the process for myself, um, I I decided to just bypass talking to my general practitioner because um, while a general MD in a lot of areas can diagnose, they don't always want to or they don't always have you know, as deep of an understanding of ADHD as you would like. So I, my insurance allowed me to go straight to a psychiatrist. So typically my recommendation is if you don't need a referral, start with a psychiatrist that um, specializes in ADHD. Um, And, you know, for me, I I had to call like four offices to get a phone call returned and it it did take a quite a while. Um, So I do like want to encourage your audience that if you run into those roadblocks, keep going. Um, A lot of people have those challenges just finding availability, but it typically is worth it to get those answers. Because I know in the Netherlands, the wait list is also very, very long. But to you, it is very much worth it to to find out if it is ADHD. Yes. You know, I talk to a lot of clients. I have a lot of clients right now um, in the UK, and they they talk about the same thing, that they're just – waiting forever or they have to go private and it's very expensive. I always just say, get your name on the list, you know, like get it on the list today if you can, uh, because that time is going to pass anyway. And, you know, when your name comes up and it's your turn, if you're no longer thinking this is a thing, you can opt out. But like oftentimes we use that as a barrier to not move forward, but there's nothing to lose from getting your name on that list. And in the meantime, um, you can work on strategies. You can move forward as if you have ADHD because if you're struggling with the symptoms of ADHD, then these strategies that you are going to build, they're going to still work for you. So you can still work on improving your life. You just don't have access to medications and that type of thing at that point. Does it get worse with age or can it get less? Um, It gets different, I think is the best way to answer that. Um, One thing I really notice is that uh, the symptoms of impulsivity seem to be more extreme during childhood and early 20s, and that can soften over time. It doesn't necessarily go away, but um, what's reported is that that symptom is not quite as apparent um, in adults as it is in children. Um, But the symptoms of inattention tend to get worse as you get older, and a lot of this has to do with Um, declining hormone levels in your body that support attention and things like that. That was actually my next question because there's more research coming out on how hormones influence ADHD and even in a monthly cycle, it it can be very different. What's your experience here? 
Yeah, hormones have a huge impact. Um, they do over that monthly cycle. They have a huge impact during pregnancy, postpartum period. It's very, very important for women with ADHD to dive into this. There's, there's not what I think is enough research on it yet, but people are starting to talk about more. Um, one thing that I think is helpful to keep in mind is that if you are cycling, you typically will um, notice uh, symptoms switching kind of in the same cycle as when the estrogen is fluctuating in your body. So oftentimes estrogen has like a protective benefit for the brain. It helps with cognition and focus and things like that, whether you have ADHD or not. So if you're already struggling with focus when estrogen levels are lower in your body, which is typically from ovulation to when you begin menses, then you might be more inattentive. You might have more brain fog, things like that. Typically, once you start your period, you are estrogen starting to build in your system. You're going to feel more creative. You're going to probably have an easier time initiating tasks, but you also might be more impulsive during that time. So really understanding how your personal cycle impacts your symptoms can really be a big benefit to women with ADHD. So maybe when you have some hard tasks or you want to schedule in an interview, for example, it would be best to do that at when your estrogen levels are high? Yeah. I mean, if you're on a regular cycle and you have that freedom to do it, I think that can make a huge difference because you're probably going to feel more confident um, and you know not experience so much anxiety during that time as well. So with anxiety, um, a lot of women with ADHD are, have high anxiety. Um, how do you know it's ADHD and it's your, it's not just high anxiety? Is that only by getting it diagnosed by a doctor? Um, you know, it is like there are symptoms that are a hallmark for ADHD that aren't typical anxiety symptoms, but it can be so, so difficult to differentiate because if you have high anxiety, it might impact your focus. It might impact your attention. You might be ruminating a lot. So there are a lot of symptoms that um, are happening together. Oftentimes, um, anxiety is comorbid with ADHD. Like they definitely have a high rate of existing together. So if you are questioning that, um, my best advice to your audience would be to research both of them, get really clear on the symptoms, and write down what you're experiencing for your symptoms um, and bring that to your doctor so that they can help differentiate for you. Uh, but I, I see it all the time. I have a lot of clients that were um, diagnosed with anxiety and depression like their whole life, but nothing was really helping. They were trying medication. They were trying all these things until they finally got an ADHD diagnosis. And they're like, okay, this makes so much more sense. This, is, this fits me. So definitely dive in on a personal level and then talk to your physician about that maybe assume you almost have ADHD because there'll be a lot of tools and tips and tricks on how to cope with ADHD when you ha with anxiety when you have ADHD that might also just help you when you are a high anxiety person. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of the emotional regulation techniques and things like that, that can help anybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What are some other good coping mechanisms if you have ADHD? 
Oh gosh. So it's so individual and this is why <laughs> I love ADHD coaching because um, I think it's really important to identify what's what symptom is impacting you while you're doing the thing that isn't working for you. Um, in a general sense, oftentimes trying to rethink um, the structure in your life can be really helpful. People with ADHD tend to do really well when routines are pretty automatic for them. We oftentimes resist authority in routines too so it's kind of a paradox where we we do so well with routine but we like you know a lot of us are free spirits we're creative so sometimes we have an inner voice that's fighting with us but when we can create routines in our life that we actually really like that we really see the benefit of then that can really be great um on a physical level, exercise is shown to be really, really important for people with ADHD, especially because it is a disorder of um, some brain differences that have to do with neurotransmitters, and exercise helps you access them and builds them in your system. So that can be absolutely fantastic to get in a good exercise routine. That would be my number one tip that I think anybody with ADHD could probably benefit from. Um, I know you're not a doctor, and uh, we should point that out. You wanted me to point that out as well, but you do see a lot of different people. So I would love to touch on medication um, for a little bit. When do you think you should take medication for ADHD? And when would people maybe choose not to use medication? Yeah, so it's a very complicated topic. I think medication can be a great tool if you're truly having a big impact in your workday, in your family life, things like that. If you are finding that you can't focus at work, that you are really seeing a big impact in your day-to-day life, medication can be a great tool. Some people find it absolutely life-changing. Some people have issues with side effects. So that is definitely something to consider. Again, I'm not a doctor, but common side effects that cause people to want to pursue a different path from medication, sometimes it can impact sleep, uh, which we already have problems with. So that can be a problem. Some medications, uh, some users will experience a little bit of a crash when it goes out of their system midday or towards the end of the day. And that, that feels dramatic to them and, and they don't prefer that feeling. Not everyone experiences that, but again, that's a side effect people talk about frequently. Um, and then there are, you know, there's other health conditions and medications people might be taking that don't interact well with ADHD medication. So everybody's like personal health profile is something that you're going to want to take into account there. Um, And then some medications can suppress appetite. So, you know, a lot of times from a parenting perspective, that's something that can be concerning to parents is if their child is already, you know, very small um, and, you know, the medication makes them not want to eat, that can be a challenge as well. And are there a lot of different options for medication, a lot of different dosages? Like, for example, when people are being treated for depression, it can take a very long time to find the correct dosage. Is that the same with, because it's also chemical imbalance often, is that the same with uh, ADHD? Yeah, absolutely. There are um, different classes of medication. Some are stimulants and then there are non-stimulant options. So identifying which option is going to work best for you is important. And then, yeah, the dosage can really be important, and it might fluctuate uh, as you grow. Um, For women, it may need to be adjusted throughout their lifespan, like, you know, during periods like post-pregnancy, during perimenopause and menopause, there might need to be changes. So getting that right does sometimes require some patience. It's kind of like 
don't give up straight away. Give it a bit of a shot. Is that what you would recommend? Yeah. You know, I, when, when clients ask me if they should take medication or not, I always first tell them to speak with their doctor about their concerns. But I, I oftentimes have people talk to me and they're uh, really like, I, I don't want to do medication because they've heard a lot of like negative stories about it. There is a stigma around ADHD medication. Um, so I always ask them to open up to being like, hey, is your life really impacted by this? Think about just trying it. Just because you get a prescription doesn't mean you're committed to this for the rest of your life. This may be a tool you need for just a period of time. This may be something that really does benefit you and that you want to continue doing. Um, when we're talking about stimulant medications, yes, getting that dosage right is important, but they act a little bit differently than like anxiety and depression medications where they like build up in your brain and there's like a whole tapering off situation. Like ADHD medication is typically metabolized in a 24 hour period. So if you take it and you give it a week and it's just absolutely horrible for you, like you're not faced with a big long process to try to get off it. They, they, they do say not to stop like immediately without talking to your doctor, like with any medication. But you know, I feel like opening up your mind to seeing if that's something that's going to support you if you don't have really strong reasons not to other than like I just don't think I should like if you have other health conditions if you have sleeping issues those are all everything all of your reasons are valid but I do um I do think getting past the stigma and the we should just be able to do this on our own mentality is important to really manage your ADHD exactly I love the keep an open mind uh theory and you're saying you could try for a week so that means you should notice a difference very quickly when you start taking medication? Yeah, it doesn't need to build up in your system in the same way. There may be an adjustment period, so it may take a little bit of time. Most people do notice a difference, and this is really mainly more with like stimulant medications. They do notice a difference, you know, fairly quickly. I wouldn't say like the first day maybe, um, because again, we're talking about things like focus and attention and things like that, and there's so many other factors that impact that outside of just our physical makeup that yeah we have to really like take a little time to really reflect but yeah there, there can be definitely a noticeable difference pretty quickly and apart from medication and working like uh, with a coach like yourself um are there other ways of treatment that are without medication like therapy yeah therapy is an awesome option for people with adhd a lot of times um because of the symptoms of adhd especially if you've been living your life not knowing what's going on in your brain there's a lot of like shame and often trauma that needs to be processed Um, a lot of people with adhd um, also have like ptsd symptoms so and those present very similarly to adhd ptsd and adhd actually look very similar at times so therapists can really help with those pieces Um, coaching is more about structuring your life and working with this brain type, but, um, oftentimes coaching and therapy can go hand in hand in terms of the success that you see. Other strategies there, uh, there's a lot of, um, research that kind of doing like some balance exercises daily can help with attention and focus. And, um, there are some new, um, it's all through prescription still, but it's like prescribing video games that can like stimulate your brain in different ways. Um, that's really new and interesting to think about. So there are treatment options outside of medication if that's not a route people want to pursue. Very interesting. And do you see there's more research coming out around ADHD and how to cope with it? 
Yeah, I feel like um, I think people are starting to pay attention to that this is a really big impact for people. A lot of times this was just seen as a childhood disorder and we're realizing that kids with ADHD grow up with ADHD because our brains literally are structured differently. So um, I think people are starting to pay attention and there's more support available. We still have a long way to go though. So um, that's why I think it's so important to keep the conversation going. I got really fascinated with the subject. Um, like I'm telling in my intro that my friend got diagnosed um, a couple months ago and she told me something about the way her brain works and the way she thinks. She described the situation where she was cooking and she had uh, a sweater on with long sleeves and she was cooking on an open fire on a gas stove top. And um, she, her mind spiraled completely. She was like, what if my uh, sleeve goes in the fire and I, I'm on fire, my kids will run up to me, they'll catch on fire and then we're all dead and my husband's going to come home and he's going to find us all three dead on the floor. And she, up until she started talking to a psychiatrist, had no idea that this is not how people's brains work if they don't have ADHD. She had, she thought everyone thought like that. Yeah. Often just completely spiraled to the worst case scenario. Yeah. And after she got, she talked to the psychiatrist and, and she was like, I think you might have ADHD. She asked her husband, she's like, do you ever think like this? And he was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's a common story I hear and I totally relate to it in my personal life. Like, I, yeah. I thought everybody ruminated incessantly. I thought everybody was kind of an overthinker. Um, I thought everybody like, you know, drove off with the coffee cup on top of their car on a regular basis. And then I met my <laughs> husband and he's like, he does not operate well how I do at all. And it's like, whoa, okay, this is different. And I, for me, for a long time, I thought it was just because I was kind of flawed and like not great, you know? And then... Um, understanding ADHD it's like you know what your friend's describing is it's like that's rumination and that is something that people with ADHD uh really experience that part of our brain that is in our thoughts and is like thinking all of the time um with neurotypical people when you start doing an action like cooking on your stove like your friend was doing typically that thinking part of your brain turns down a little bit and kind of like on a dimmer, right? Like it doesn't go away. Other people can have those thoughts. But with ADHD, it doesn't dim. So she's cooking. She's doing the action. And then her brain just has this opportunity to like give her this huge story, you know, like, and our brains always want to protect us. So it's like, okay, I'm thinking about worst case scenario. Like your sleeve is totally going to catch on fire. And we have great imaginations. So it makes a lot of sense that her mind would go in that direction. We have an episode about habits as well, and that's one of those things. Cooking, in my brain, it kind of shuts down because I know what I'm chopping, I know what I'm cooking, and I'm even when I'm following in a recipe, I'm focused on that, and my brain kind of stops with other things. But I guess it makes a lot of sense that with people that have ADHD, the thoughts just keep going, yeah. even though they're doing a thing that you can do out of habit, their mm -hmm. brain doesn't shut down. Yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's like the reason people are so confused about this is because the name of the disorder is attention deficit. So that makes it sound like we can't pay attention. But the problem is we're paying attention to everything. So we're, you know, paying attention to the sleeve. Our brain is not focused on the chopping. It's thinking about what we're doing at work and then we've chopped our finger off. Like the, it's, it's like an excess of attention. We're just not filtering our attention in the same way a neurotypical brain is. Do you think the name is 
terrible. Yes. I dislike the name <laughs> a lot. Um, I think it creates a huge stigma. Um, it's very negative, right? Um, and it just doesn't paint the whole picture. It's about so much more than attention and hyperactivity. Like those are two symptoms, yeah. but there are many more things to ADHD than inattention and hyperactivity. I agree because with the name, I just think of my childhood best friend who was jumping up and down the walls in the classroom uh, who had ADHD and was already diagnosed at a young age as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think about the women that are my age that have anxiety and just can't stop their brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a big issue and that um that lack of understanding can just spiral into like feelings of shame like i remember um again my husband's family is they're very neurotypical they're very organized and like i can keep a really nice clutter-free living area but if you open my closets it's a hot mess and it's not that i don't care like i cared a lot but i just would never know where to start i would never like it would be out of sight out of mind when i close the door to the cabinet i forget that i wanted to work on that So when you have these areas where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just like not even a normal grown up. Like, why can't I do these things that other people find easy? The side effect of not being able to identify, you know, those tendencies early on is that we just think there's something wrong with us, that it's a character flaw. So um, it really is important that even though those girls that are inattentive and daydreaming in the classroom aren't causing a problem, that we still support them and help them understand their brain at an early age. You had a funny post on your Instagram as well saying that people with ADHD have three junk junk drawers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) That's also very funny. So tell me, if your partner has ADHD, how can we support, or or your sister or your parent or anyone close to you, how can you support that person best? Yeah, honestly, I think the best thing you can do is to really try to dive into the education with them, try to understand them. Don't dismiss their symptoms. So if they're describing a day where they just really had a hard time, you know, focusing and didn't get anything done, don't be like, hey, are you using this as an excuse or... That happens to everyone. I feel like that sometimes too, because true, yeah, we all feel like that. We all have these issues sometimes, but it's the level that it's impacting the person and alongside all of these other things that are impacting the person. So I would say don't dismiss their symptoms, believe them. Oftentimes people don't seek diagnosis because they're they're holding it together on the outside. They look successful. They have a beautiful family. You know what I mean? Like they have a great job. And oftentimes people don't want to see what's going on on the inside. So people will see people and say, okay, there's no way you have ADHD because you're not failing at life or whatever it is. That's hurtful. You know what I mean? To not be believed when you are expressing the symptoms you're dealing with can be really hard. So I say, believe them, support them, try to educate yourself as well and just communicate, communicate, communicate. For moms listening, we discussed earlier that having to get up at a certain time and getting everyone out the door, like say before 8 a.m., is a really big task for someone with ADHD, even just because of their circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, how can moms or parents best cope with um, having a family and having to stay organized to a certain degree just to run a family? Yeah, I think that one of the best things you can do is identify the areas that are having the biggest impact on you and see if there is a way to access support with that. So maybe that's getting a cleaning lady. Maybe that's asking your partner to take on some unwanted tasks that are really hard for you. 
Um, oftentimes women, I think all women are kind of expected to do it all when it comes to the kids and the house and their job. We got to push back against that societal expectation and allow our partners to help us in terms of like specifically the being organized and things like that. Uh, make it a family affair, set it up in a way that makes sense for you. Um, oftentimes just a simple strategy for mornings is to, Set yourself up the day before when you're feeling good and you have energy with everything you can do to get yourself out of the house more smoothly. So like set out the clothes, do a little bit of that planning. It's not natural for us to want to do that planning ahead of time, but try to get into that routine for kids with ADHD. So a lot of times since this is so hereditary, about 50% of kids with ADHD have a parent with ADHD, whether they know it or not. Um, so a lot of my clients, their kids have ADHD too. So we're dealing with a lot of executive dysfunction in the morning. Um, create like visual list of like what you need, like shoes, you know, backpack and allow those kids to kind of take ownership of that. Um, but do it in a way that makes sense. Just telling them to do it isn't going to work. You got to give them like a visual process to help them create their routines too. Maybe even like a sticker board. Like, okay, I got my backpack. Here's a gold star on my backpack yes. for today. And this, I have my shoes on, I have my jacket on and turn it yes. into a game. Yeah, some kind of checklist is really great for that because, like I said, just like shouting at the kid, especially if your kid has ADHD too, their working memory, like they might hear you or they might be hyper-focused on what they're doing and completely not hear what you're saying to them. So then it just becomes tense and stressful. Um, involve them in the process. ADHD kids and adults do really well with rewards. So that sticker chart you're mentioning, that's a great way to give that brain a little bit of a reward. Okay, I get to put a sticker here because I got my backpack. That works really well. And that dopamine hit a little yep. bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And then um, if you're a parent that doesn't have ADHD or your child potentially does, what is the best way forward for that? You know, oh my gosh, this could be a whole podcast episode. So I will give you <laughs> <laughs> my quickest tips. I think that number one, don't look at your child as a problem to be solved. Understand that they their brain is wired differently but their brain has some really incredible strengths. So identify those strengths. Understand what your kid has to offer the world and focus most of your time on developing those strengths and then teaching them ways to support their brain in other ways. Because if we approach that child as you're a behavior problem, you're stressing me out, you know what I mean? And it's hard, it's really hard having kids with ADHD. I have two of them. You know, I don't wanna dismiss that like sometimes it is gonna be so aggravating as a parent to deal with some of the way symptoms present in childhood. But if you truly wanna raise a well-adjusted whole child, focus from a strengths-based perspective. Oftentimes kids with ADHD are very creative. So help them be involved in the strategies that work for them. Be like, okay, this morning is not working. What ideas do you have? Give them some ownership. Um, really, really educate them on how their brain is wired. Don't make them be embarrassed about their ADHD because that's kind of the number one story here. Like people are diagnosed as kids, but they were given medication and that was it. Nobody knows what's going on. So really help them learn, help them embrace their neurodiversity and, you know, use those things that um, their brain is really good at doing to their advantage. Like people with ADHD are really creative problem solvers. We're really good in crises often. And... Um, we're creative, we're like deep thinkers, we're empathetic. So there's a lot that's positive about ADHD and oftentimes in childhood, I think that we like skip over all of that because we are having problems. So focus on that, involve them in their own strategies and help them learn to create a life that makes sense for them. 
And I guess by focusing on the positive things that they have, um, it will also really build their confidence. Absolutely. Yeah, that is the approach I've taken with my daughter. And oftentimes I'm like, I think I gave you too much confidence because she has so much self-love. She is like very aware of what she's good at. And she's just such a happy, well-adjusted kid. And I would have never pictured this in the early days when we were pursuing this diagnosis. So I can't emphasize that enough. I love that. That's really good. Final question I ask all of my experts is, if you could give the listeners one takeaway from this episode, what would it be? You know, I would say if you are listening to this and you are, you have that question in your mind, do I have ADHD? Is What is going on here? Um, keep diving in. Keep getting those answers. Don't be deterred by uh, long waits. I It is so hard sometimes to make appointments for us. It's hard for us to be organized enough to find a physician, but you know, give yourself that gift of exploring this because um, if you do find that answer and it is that you have ADHD, you can, you can definitely start adapting a different approach and your life can really change in a positive way. So to me, you know, ADHD is a disability. It is hard, but it is also, you know, a different ability and we can do a lot of really great things. But if we don't understand our brain, we got we to gotta start there. That's a perfect ending. That's really good. Yeah, just and give yourself also the, the time to get adjusted. Maybe ask your partner even be like, hey, I'm thinking about pursuing this, but I might need some help with finding a doctor and getting organized here a little bit. Can you please help me out? And then, um, cause it can really change your life for the better. I think that's with most diagnoses. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to your brain, once you have a diagnosis and you know what's going on and you understand what's going on under the hood, um, it's only for the better. Yeah. It's like getting a new manual. Like you've been using the wrong manual for your brain your whole life. And then someone gave you the manual that actually works, you know, and there's a lot of feelings I think that come with being diagnosed, especially if you're later in life, sometimes there's grief. So I'm not saying it's only positive, but, uh, get that manual. That manual is what you need and you can definitely change your life for the better. And even though it's later in life, it's never too late because you can yes. still make your life a lot easier. A hundred percent. Yeah. I People ask me all the time, is it too late? And I don't think it's too late. I've had clients that are in their 50s and 60s and they are making incredible changes. So it's totally worth it. I think especially when it comes to your brain and especially when it's just wired a particular way, mm -hmm. it's never too late to figure out and just make your life easier because life can already be really hard if you yes. <laughs> don't have ADHD. Um, you might as well try to figure this out to just help yourself. 100%. It's a nice act of self-love, really, kind of, just to, to figure out how things work. Absolutely. I love how you put that. All right. Amazing. Where can people find you? And if they want to do a course, tell us. So my Instagram handle is hummingbird underscore ADHD. Uh, if you visit my profile. Everyone needs to follow that because <laughs> you have a lot of very funny videos and stories and you already give a, a lot of tips and tricks on your page. So yeah, you know, I, I really love serving in that way. It's such a passion project for me to be able to educate through that platform. Um, so go there first. Uh, if you want more than what I offer on that page, there is always a link in my bio with my current offerings. I do have a membership for adults with ADHD where we, um, we have check-in sessions, 
we have just chat groups where we can like talk about the issues that are impacting us and it's just a great way for community so if you're looking for community um, my courses I run group coaching programs throughout the year so that information would also be in my bio when the next ones are coming up and I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching for entrepreneurs as well and um, it doesn't really matter where you live right as long as there's a time overlap with Arizona. Yeah, as long as we can it. make the time zone work. I currently have clients in Switzerland and the UK and gosh, I can't even name all the countries. It's so fun to get to know people from all over. But yeah, as long as you can use Zoom and we can figure out the time zone, then we can work together. <laughs> Hummingbird underscore ADHD. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. This was, this was incredible. I've learned so much today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please give this podcast a five-star review. This really helps with growing and reaching a bigger audience. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at 30 and a bit podcast, and we will be back next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.